The Ascent of Board Games is a podcast in which we discuss the history and evolution of board game mechanics, concepts, and themes from the dawn of history to today's newest releases. We talk, we laugh, we pick on each other, and we occasionally get things wrong. But we hope to provide both entertainment and education to today's discerning podcast listener, you. Previously on The Ascent of Board Games. We are here this month to talk about expansions. You must listen to the base podcast first in order to use this episode. Talisman the Expansion. There was surely only going to be one. The new Caprica ending of Battlestar Galactica is garbage, and you should feel bad if you like it. Base game of Seven Wonders is not good. Beyond a certain point, the weight of the accumulated expansion starts to make the whole thing fall over. For us, I think that point was a Babel expansion. I'd like there to be more of this game, but I think it would be faster for me to design and publish my own <laughs> game before the Kingdom of Death stuff is actually released. And now, the thrilling conclusion of expansions. All right. Well, at least we've gotten away from those huge games with all the million expansions. So let's talk about a campaign game expansion with Arkham Horror the Card Game. Shocker. You know, I love Arkham Horror. This came out in 2016. MJ Newman, designer, Fantasy Flight Games is the publisher. And with each of their expansions, not only did they increase the selection of player cards that you can build your deck from, but they introduced a totally new storyline as well. And I think this is a, and this is true for really any adventure game, but anytime it can be hey, here's just a new setting for you to run through. You've got the start of a good expansion in my book. Now, there are some that do it better than others. For example, Arkham Horror, the Path to Carcosa, which is the King in Yellow expansion, is just rife with player decision about how this game goes. And very much in tune with the King in Yellow, it is all about, like, do you believe the things that you are seeing in front of your face, or do you think that you might just be losing your mind? And it plays into that theme very well. Who do you trust, me or your lying eyes? Right. I mean, yeah, pretty much. On the opposite end of that spectrum, the Circle Undone expansion is a storyline about how you are fate's bitch, and <laughs> there is basically no character decision outside of gameplay because fate is unchangeable like you just are doing the things that you're doing because that's what you're supposed to be doing and they do still manage to weave a interesting narrative there but it doesn't feel quite as good especially having come off of the carcosa expansion where you know choices matter a lot yeah like I think these are just examples for me of how to design a adventure game expansion well. Take those concepts and apply them to anything adventure and you've probably got me hooked. Excellent. That's it. That's all I was going to say about Arkham Horror LCG. I had to. Uh, yes, it's, I mean, it's contractually obligated that you mentioned at least once an episode, and now we've actually talked about it rather than just mocking you for liking it. I will say... I also like the Forgotten Age expansion, which is the expedition into the jungles of Mexico, only because it changes 
the types of characters that perform well. Up until that point in the card game, you would need an investigator to pick up clues and a fighter to deter monsters. And you could get by on just those two characters in a campaign. But in the Forgotten Age, if you bring a fighter with you and you start killing Yig's children, it turns out Yig is going to take that a little personally and thus makes the game much harder down the line for you. And so bringing a fighter to that is going to change your experience than if you bring somebody who is going to evade and hide from and outmaneuver the enemies, which I thought was a fascinating way to change how you would evaluate a character as far as goodness, viability. viability. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of shaking up the meta. Right. The one thing that I'm curious about that, and it may just be because I haven't played much of Arkham, but it seems like something that the first time through, you would probably play the kind of characters that you always play and make Yig very angry and lose. So is that something that really becomes apparent on replay? Do you replay a lot of the campaigns? (laughs) That is exactly what happened to Jason Jason (laughs) and I when we first played through Forgotten Age. But yeah, I mean, at some point, you are just going to know the campaigns, like the campaigns themselves don't change that much. Uh, I mean, the return to's change things up sometimes. They do. They make it harder. They make some things easier. They fix some things. Yeah, they fix some really bad ideas. <laughs> well, they, they fix things that just did not work the way they intended them to. So yes, like we definitely got to a point the first time we played Forgotten Age where Jason and I kind of look at each other and we're like, this is not going to end well for us. (laughs) And then we replayed it with a more agility-based characters and it was great. Yeah. Yeah. This also introduced like the idea of getting expedition items that will have some benefit at some point. And it makes you make the really difficult decisions of, do I want a rope or a piece of chalk? Mm-hmm. One of these might prevent me from getting murdered. Right. Oh, Jason, it's not a piece of chalk. That chalk has the same value as a can of gasoline. Oh, that's right. You yeah. are bringing <laughs> boxes, gross of chalk. boxes of chalk. But I will say, this system has also learned a lot as it's going. And the most recent expansion, the Scarlet Keys, actually has a worldwide map that you travel across in between games. And... At each stop along the map, you encounter either a story or another mission to play out. Hmm. And it feels a lot more like Eldritch Horror mixed with a little bit of SCP in just the way that they tell the stories. It's interesting. For like story-based campaign-type games, I don't usually think of them in terms of replayability, but it sounds like this is one of those games where you really kind of want to you know, you, you go through the initial thing and then maybe you sort of re-optimize and try and go through the story again, but do better. Yeah, that is certainly what I've been doing over on my stream on Sundays. Plug, plug. But like, the nice thing about, say, the Path of Carcosa is the first time you play through it, you might say, yes, I totally believe the things that I'm seeing in front of my eyes, the mythos is real. The second time you play through it, you might be like, no, nah, I'm just losing my goddamn mind. It's fine. <laughs> So I appreciate games that have that kind of replayability, and also I cannot imagine a worse circle of hell than a circle where I replay Eldritch Horror expansions over and over again. Uh, 
Get on my level, Joe. Get on. Yeah, my I am level. on your level. It's a it's a horrible place that you would have it. <laughs> so, Joe, is there a game that you think does better with multiple expansions? Well, you know, I would put forward that Terraforming Mars, designed by Jacob Ferelius by uh, Ferex Games, does a much better job with expansions and has much more replayability. Ultimately, as a group, for whatever reason, Phoenix Next bounce directly off of us. And actually, you know, we're using Venus Next as the example of this, but I think ultimately both Venus Next and uh, the most recent expansion, the Council or whatever they call it, the Senate, also bounced off of us as a group. And I think they both represent adding one too many components that are directly in the line of victory. That would be the Turmoil Turmoil expansion. Thank you, thank you. I think both of them add an extra component that's like directly in the path to victory. Whereas, for example, Prelude, which is clearly the best expansion Mm -hmm. and frankly, you know, essential, very, very solidly falls into Mike's not like make the game worse, but like is required for play now that we know about it. Because Prelude is awesome, right? It just, in essence, takes the first turn or two of Terraforming Mars and just makes it a set of cards that you select from. So the game kind of starts, in essence, a turn or two in because everybody gets a a big power bump and you get some choice about what power bumps you get. Yeah, basically, you get to the interesting part of the game sooner. Yes, exactly. You get to see all of your cards starting out and so you can make some informed decisions and like that's always a fun thing to do to figure out like, oh, okay, cool. I have these cards in my hand. I have these prelude cards. I have this corporation. This all kind of gels. I got a strategy now. Let me go try to execute on it. And that basically, works because, sorry. Uh, so it, it basically jumpstarts your engine. That's that's where yep. the real benefit comes. Yeah, and it works because, you know, in a normal game of Terraforming Mars, you're going to see 90% of the cards over the course of the game. So you are likely to get a chance to see a lot of the cards that will help you. You might not see all of them. Fair warning that we always play with drafting, which frankly should just be a base rule of the game. Drafting makes the game 10 times better, frankly, because of the control it gives you over your turns. Yes. But with drafting, you get a pretty good chance to see cards, and also you get to counter-draft against people who are trying to get Jupiter cards because they're jerks. It's just the way it works. But like Venus Next, the problem with Venus Next is it's like a whole separate thing to focus on. You have to spend turns terraforming Venus as well as terraforming Mars. It's not... The terraforming is not as interesting or as elaborate as Mars, right? It's a sideboard, so yeah, you're terraforming Venus, but like... Terraforming Venus is really just moving one track up and down, and there's not, like, land placement like there is on the main board. It's really kind of a nothing, right, besides a place where you can get points. Yeah, now, it's interesting to me because a lot of what you're describing, that there's just a sideboard with this other stuff going on, also applies to colonies, which you generally quite like. Well, I like colonies because colonies is less in the direct path of winning, right? So when you play with Phoenix Next... One of the things they tell you to do is every turn reduce everyone's terraforming rating by one because there's an additional place you can get terraforming rating from Venus. But the expansions I like, Prelude and Colonies, don't do that, right? They're just an additional place you can get resources from. They're not a place where it affects like your main game strategy in a lot of ways, right? I actually like Colonies a lot. I like Colonies a lot because it can... If you have the resources to spend on launching things into colonies, you can get pretty big benefits from them. Yeah. But like for Venus Next, like everybody has to pay attention to it because 
it exists to make up for the terraform points that everybody is losing every turn. Mm -hmm. And that kind of sucks. Right. And like, what an inelegant solution to that problem of just like every round, everybody loses a point. And also because of that makes less money. Like that just doesn't feel good ever. Yeah. It's part of it is for sure a feeling. Mm -hmm. It's like colonies like doesn't affect your main game. You can, like friend of the show, John, totally ignore colonies yep. and you'll be fine, right? But you can't ignore Venus because otherwise you're functionally getting penalized every turn mm -hmm. if you ignore Venus entirely. Yeah. And also, it introduces a new resource type called floaters. <laughs> and that's just an unfortunate name. It's just, it's the juvenile part of us is just like, ha ha ha, uh, that's stupid. So that's another knock against it is like the resource type in introduces floaters is just I, I understand why it's named that. It's, it's real unfortunate. Hey, Joe, how many floaters do you have on that card over there? Uh, three floaters. <laughs> exactly. <sighs> it's interesting how this goes, because I've literally never played Venus Next, but I have in my mind that it's a bad expansion because you guys played it without me at one point. And then the next time we played Terraforming Mars, I was like, well, should we include the Phoenix next thing? And you guys were like, no, no, so I've, I've literally never played it because you guys bounced off it so hard. I mean, it doesn't sound great from what I'm hearing, but um, I mean, it's it's really for me. Thing. I think it's the losing Terraforming rating every turn. Mm -hmm. That is awful and doesn't feel fun. Right. And feels just actively punishing. And that's just not fun. Yeah. Right. I'm not one to put a lot of weight into Board Game Geek ratings, but I did take a quick look and I find it interesting that Venus Next is rated considerably lower than most of the other expansions, but Turmoil is even lower than Venus Next. We played recently with Turmoil, and the last time we played this game, I was like, let's play with Turmoil. I want to play with it again, mm -hmm. and I will never play with it again. <laughs> You've learned why you stopped doing that. <laughs> well, like I was like, I, you know, I've only done it twice, and it's like, I want to give this one more try, and we played it, and I was like, cool. I actively hate this. <laughs> it's not like, it's just not good. Like We could dive into Turmoil. I think Venus X is more interesting because it was way earlier. Mm -hmm. I think Turmoil is just like... It's too them fiddly. trying to put out an expansion still, you know? Yeah. The interesting thing, the sideboard that Turmoil introduces, I think does cross that line of, this is too much. Yes, it, it for sure does. It falls into the Babel problem, yes. which is, it is just too many things. Yeah. However, I will say, and the reason I think I, I like Turmoil more than Venus Next as an expansion, is because the event cards that Turmoil brings to the table, I think is a much more elegant solution to the well, you've got another way to score points here, so we need to balance that out with some bad stuff because it is something that is controllable, whereas Venus Next, they were just like, eh, everybody loses them. Yeah, there's some mitigation there. Yeah, I'm, I'm functionally against any expansion for Terraforming Mars that extends how long that game takes because it's already, in my yes. opinion, a slog to begin with. That's why I love Prelude so much because mm -hmm. it actively speeds the game up. When you start adding, like, Venus next or turmoil you're like oh my god why are we making this any longer than it has to be interestingly i think slightly more than prelude my favorite terraforming mars expansions are the board expansions which i did not think that i would like when they were first talked about like this expansion is just two new boards 
I love those. They change the game so dynamically mm-hmm. because they give like new awards and uh, achievements that I'm just like, this is great. Yeah, it changes the game without any rules changes. Yep. It's literally things are just laid out differently now and there are different things that are rewarded. That's another one that is super clean and easy to implement and mixes up a game that may get a little bit stale if you've played it a lot. And we're all aware that uh, Jason's favorite expansion to this is the big box that has all the fun terrain in it. I mean, obviously, <laughs> you know, models. 3D mushroom I mean, cloud. Yes, I mean, that sold me immediately. I mean, done. Okay, I'm back in. I don't care what else it comes with. Another game that doesn't have as much in the way of expansions, but I think is worth talking about, is Gloomhaven 2017 from Isaac Childress and Cephalofair Games. It's been on my mind lately because we have just started playing Frosthaven, which looks like it's going to be really exciting. Gloomhaven is a big-ass game. When we first played through it, it took our group about a year of playing more or less every week, I think. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah. And uh, so there's there's a lot of game there, so it's not like it desperately needed more content. But they came out with some anyway, because it's, it's a rogue game and people wanted to do more. The only real, quote-unquote, expansion for Gloomhaven is Forgotten Circles. And that had some good ideas in it. It broke the maps out to be a little bit more modular so that you can't immediately look at the scenario and see what's in every room and, you know, what's going to happen when you open the door. So it gets a little bit of that mystery involved, which is nice. It added a single new character, which is a little bit unfortunate. I think if we had gotten that, while we were still in the middle of the main campaign, it might have worked. But when we got it, we're like, hey, it's more Gloomhaven. Let's play through Forgotten Circles. It was like one of us had a new character and everybody else was kind of like playing the same things we had played. So it wasn't. And the new character wasn't great. I mean, it was an interesting thought, but it didn't really gel. Yeah. I think the actual crime committed there is that somebody had to play the new character. Right. Yes. They were required. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is a real ballsy move because what if nobody likes that new character? Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, like I ended up playing the new one and I thought that they were fine, but they didn't super gel. I, I didn't think they were like so fun that I was excited to play more of them. Yeah, we didn't actually wind up finishing that. The other thing is there are a couple places in Forgotten Circles where there were riddles. In the text that you had to solve, it's like basically figure out what number this riddle is talking about and go to that paragraph. And if you're right, you'll you'll do the next thing. And they were not good. They were, yeah, they were vague and badly, badly written and, and difficult to figure out. So that was, as a person who loves puzzles, that was very disappointing to me. Yeah, they were, as, as is classically called by friends of the show, Sean, uh, under. Yes, I don't even remember. Those. It's probably for the best. The good news is they did learn things, even from the base game. You know, the the way the, the scenarios are set up is basically replicated in Frosthaven now. They learned a lot from Jaws the Lion, which was sort of an expand-alone Gloomhaven 101, uh, which is still brilliant as an introduction to the game and makes it a lot easier to get into. Yeah, I like Jaws the Lion a lot because you're using the same base game mechanic for Gloomhaven, but the cards are a little simpler. And you're a little bit more powerful, so it just makes it a little bit more approachable. If you, you know, bounce off Gloomhaven itself, right, you might be able to not bounce off Jaws the Lion because it's a little bit more handholdy. Yeah. Because it's a little bit less hard, to be frank. Right. right? And it also has a very nicely done tutorial in the first several missions where 
with base Gloomhaven, it's like, here's your first adventure. Here are all the rules. Go. Whereas Joe's line was very good at introducing a couple of those things incrementally over the first couple adventures. But also, I think the scenarios in Jaws of the Lion are a little less samey. Yes. It feels like there's fewer, you know, kill all the monsters. Yeah. That is exactly what I was going to say, because they definitely have a lot more interesting scenarios in Jaws of the Lion. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's I think, just experience and design and seeing what works. Yep. I'm looking forward to more of Frosthaven to figure out how much they've learned. It's fun so far. I've summoned so many skeletons. <laughs> mm. That's what you do. I will say, the one thing I'm kind of hoping that they come out with, I would like to see a campaign where you can just use any of the characters from Gloomhaven, Jaws Lion, Frosthaven. Because right now, with Frosthaven, you could go back and include characters from Gloomhaven, mm-hmm. but why would you want to when you've got so many shiny new characters to play? Right. At some point, I would love to see, here's a side campaign. Play it with ever the heck you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could certainly see that happening. I mean, there's certainly been a fair amount of fan-made content out there for Gloomhaven. I'm sure it will continue. And even if Isaac doesn't do that, which I'm not sure why he wouldn't, because that's kind of leaving money on the table. I'm sure there will be some fan-created stuff along those lines. And it might even be good. Yeah, there is the giant fan-based full-size expansion to Gloomhaven. And doesn't that also come with, like, ten new characters and stuff? There's a lot of stuff in there. Yeah, ten new characters in a full campaign. And it's a Gloomhaven-sized box. I haven't seen this fan-made content. I may have to check that out. I'm trying to think of what it's called. I've seen advertisement for it. costs a fortune because it's all. Yeah, I mean, it's all. It's all. Print on demand. Crimson scales. Yeah, that's it. Hmm. I'll have to look into that. Colin, please don't sue us. (laughs) (laughs) No, no. Crimson scale. Yeah, I I think he generally is. It's a joke. Yes, exactly. At the same time, Isaac has also been a huge proponent of the tabletop simulator version of his game where he's just like, please go play my game and then. Because advertisement is good. Right. Right. Which I think is a sane approach. Yeah. The base Crimson Scales adds 66 scenarios, 100 items, 11 to 14 classes, which is interesting. Uh, 11 to 14 classes? How could it be a variable number of classes? That's kind of what I'm wondering about. Uh, And then there are actually two expansions for the Crimson Scales. So uh, there's a lot of stuff out there if you guys want more Gloomhaven. All right, Jason, take us home. Sure, yeah. So, um, I mean, we've talked about this one plenty of times, but Too Many Bones, released in 2017 by Adam and Josh Carlson by Chip Theory Games. Most of the expansions for this game are really just single character expansions. There's one important exception to that. Well, maybe two, because I think there's one that also expands the number. There's of a couple, hunters. but yeah, yeah. But Age of Tyranny is where they take all of the monsters from the, uh, all the tyrants, excuse me, from the core box and wrap a campaign around it complete with being able to get like what they call scar tokens on your characters as they level up that prevent them from accessing certain skills and kind of force you to find ways of healing it. And basically entirely different cards, different mechanics. But hey, play through the entire contents of the first box is basically what this does. And, you know, most of the games of Too Many Bones are just pick a single tyrant, go grab a certain number of encounter cards and their unique cards and have an adventure. This is like hey, let's, let's, let's go murder all these tyrants in one uh, combined campaign. 
So I'll be honest here, I haven't played it, mostly because it's a pretty big time commitment. Mm -hmm. And most of it's my time with Too Many Bones is teaching people how on earth it works. So not a lot of opportunities to get some veterans together to go through it. But I've heard very good things about it. Yeah, there's actually two campaign expansions for Too Many Bones. There's the Age of Tyranny and also, what was it? Undertow, I think, is the other one that had that. Like, oh, sure. Yeah, that was the other yeah, the, the, kind the of water the other core box. Yeah. yeah, that one with Stanza and yeah. the other character whose name I can't remember at the moment. Yeah. But yeah, so I'm looking forward to trying it. I just need to find a group to do it with. And I don't ever want to play like that sort of thing solo because that seems so sure. bad. I think, Jason, in that one, you should play Dart. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dart. To, to, to talk about the worst expansion for this game. <laughs> Dart was a character I was actually really excited about. Uh, so let's talk how Dart works. Dart is a ranged character. Ooh, that's a plus. Ranged characters in that game are really powerful. Dart has a mount, a pigadillo named Bored, because they're very clever with their little puns. So, all right, that sounds pretty good. Then I'm done talking about good things. <laughs> Dart's main mechanic is basically when she's rolling dice, if she gets a bone, she can put it into her backup plan. And then she can use a backup plan called Danger Zone that does a new mechanic that they haven't done with any of the other characters. Basically, you flip her entire skill mat, which is basically like a, a mouse pad material that you slot her unlocked skill dice into. You flip that over, and it replicates the game board where all the, all the enemies, all the baddies are. And now you rampage around with your pigadillo. Every time you move, any enemy that you're adjacent to takes one true damage, and you remove one of the bones from your backup plan. That sounds okay. As you move around, if you overlap any of the skill dice that you've already exhausted that round, hey, you get that skill die back. That sounds pretty good. It's a good way of getting your dice back and gives you more action economy. Great. You can do this once per battle. Oh, that's not so good. It's really hard to position properly because you could potentially run into your own people, and uh, it's a one-shot. You can do it once. Mm. Okay, well, could be kind of useful, sure. Let's talk about how Dart attacks things. She throws darts. Shocking. So she's ranged. Great. She can't throw more than one attack die at a single target. That's a problem, mm -hmm. because you're never going to break through armor that way. You can put things they call agents on them, which can kind of put, like, status effects on enemies. They're, you know, things like reduce their attack die or, you know, remove a defense die, things like that. Nothing particularly earth-shaking, but... Every time you throw an attack die, you exhaust that attack die, Ooh. which means you don't get it back for the rest of that fight. Unless you so, happen to rampage over it. Unless you happen to rampage over Well, I think you can choose to get an attack die back for every space you move instead of getting your skill die. But you're talking about, at most, you're moving five spaces because that's how many spots you have in your backup plan. Actually, it's four because you have to spend one just to go into rampaging mode. Uh. So maximum of a four once per battle. So like you've got this character that's throwing incredibly weak attacks. And she has to split up her attacks. And every time she throws an attack, she loses a die. <laughs> and because of the, the flip over mechanic, the upgrades to her attributes, so her attack, her defense, her dexterity, and her... What's the last one? It's... There's... Wounds, isn't it? Oh, health. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They're all maxed out at three, at most. That's the best you can ever be. Uh. So <laughs> you're like, okay, well, so she starts with two health. She can max out to three more. So a maximum of five health. But she has a mount that gives her extra health. That mount is a die you roll that ranges from 1 to 3 for its health. You're like, oh my god. <laughs> so a starting dart character starts with 2 health and has a 1 health picadillo that can basically take a single hit and you're out of it. Mm. And then you can't rampage. It's like, what? What? why is this character so complex for so little benefit? 
Like, I I don't... I They think they were really excited about the flip-over mechanic, and they forgot to build a character around it, it to could do be. anything effectively. It could be. Hmm. I don't know what she's used for, because, like, she's not a support, she's not a damage dealer, she's not a tank. What what do you do with this character? But you get to and, flip like, over of- the mat, Jason. That's fun. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that that's cool. <laughs> yeah. Like, they, they were very proud of the fact that they made the dice stick in tightly enough that you can flip it without removing the dice. Oh, wow. That's neat. I guess that one time per battle you can do it, you're really excited. <laughs> and then you get, like, thrashed by anything near you because your stats max out at three. <laughs> Does this sound like an expansion that maybe needed some more playtesting? Because <laughs> I feel like what I'm hearing here is that there's just no reason that this character should exist from a mechanical standpoint. Yeah, and yeah. To use one of Joe's favorite phrases, the juice isn't worth the squeeze. Mm-hmm. Like To get her to do anything, it's like, okay, I'm setting up which of my skill dice I use because I know I'm going to go on my Pigadillo rampage, and I know I'm going to move to these spots. Oh, wait, no, the enemy's moved, and now they're blocking that. Okay, I can't get that die back. Okay, so I'm going to hold off. I'm going to hold off. Oh, wait, I didn't get enough bones to actually rampage for long enough, so I'm going to hold off and do that. Oh, wait, no, I'm dead. (laughs) Yeah. That's pretty much how my game went. (laughs) Yeah, I can't see any once-per-battle ability like that, where that is the core mechanic of a character being fun and or interesting i mean maybe if you have more control over it or it's more effective but this seems kind of random yeah like and it's again it's just a lot of mental effort for so little payoff that i just don't get it i wonder if this character is meant more for like solo play because it seems like other Mm. characters might get more in the way than not I mean, yes, she's rated a three difficulty and a three solo, so she is more geared towards solo play. Hmm. My argument for that would be, like, her damage output is so incredibly low, I don't know how... Because, like, again, you can only throw a single dart at each enemy. That's it. You can't ever double up. And, like, I'm looking at her, the agents that she has here, like, the most an agent does damage-wise is another two damage, Hmm. and then you remove an agent from that character. So it's like, it would be... Like, just killing a regular monster would take a lot of effort, which right. just doesn't seem great. I don't know. I was very, very disappointed with her. I'm happy to see it looks like the new characters for the latest Kickstarter at least have a lot more thought put into them. They seem a lot more useful. Like, I don't, I don't, I had to dig for this character because, like, I buried her deep in that box because I'm never using her again. Fair enough. I would love to see someone use her effectively and prove me wrong. That's a challenge to you, listeners. Yes. And right, you heard him at Jason. Invite Jason to your game and uh, show him how <laughs> it's done. I would like to get too many bones back to the table in our infinite amounts of free time. It has been too long. We're all independently oh, wealthy. You don't have to work. It's great. Yeah, exactly. <sighs> sure. Mm-hmm. So that's our, our main list. I know there were a couple side topics or honorable mentions that people wanted to discuss. Or as I like to call them, oops, all the expansions were good. <laughs> Well, if that's what we're going to call this segment, can I start with the opposite? Oh, okay, sure. No. Okay. okay. <laughs> Let me cry a single tear, Mike. My oops, all expansions were good. So obviously Spirit Island, designed by R. Eric Reuse, greater than games. All the expansions are great. It folds nicely into the game because it's functionally just more spirits. Except for notably the event system, which they didn't have the original game, and they added it into the expansion, and I just like the event system. Like, having a little bit of random in that game really helps it shine. Mm-hmm. But all the other expansions is either 
new tokens that go on the board or or new spirits you can play and more spirits in that game is just better right having more options is just a better play experience not all the spirits are good Mm -hmm. notably there are a couple of ones that we just never have played with but then how do you know they're not good joe in the beast one there's the beast i forget what it's called it's like a big lion Mm -hmm. or tiger or something and it doesn't super work as a spirit oh that's unfortunate this is the only one I can think of that is like actively bad. Interestingly, my biggest problem with Spirit Islands expansions has just been their availability. Yeah. Six player expansion, I'm looking at you. <laughs> Seems like the game would take forever with six. Uh it, it it's not as bad as I was expecting, honestly. Yeah. The big map is really fun to play on. I will say my experience with the big map is it felt like two three player games being played simultaneously <laughs> because Yeah, I can see that. There was things happening on the other side of the map that I'm just like, I got no idea what's happening over there. If you have a spirit who has long reach, you can affect most of the map. The one thing I really like about the six-player map is that in the normal map, in each of the tiles, you have kind of the same number of each of the different terrains. But in the big six-player thematic map, there's actually like a big mountain range and a big forest. And it's like, in your terrain you might be more affected by stuff that affects forests than stuff that affects mountains or stuff that affects swamps or whatever, which I really like. It makes every turn feel a little different. You have to react differently sometimes. And also, it kind of requires your neighbors to be able to help you out because if they have a bunch of swamps and you have a bunch of forests and it's forest time, you're going to need your neighbor's help. So you have to interact, I think. It forces a little bit more interaction because function your section has a preponderance of one terrain type, which Mm -hmm. I think is a lot of fun. Another one, I guess you could call all good expansions, is Lords of Waterdeep, which only has the one, but it's real good. Scoundrels of Skullport adds uh, another two different modular mechanics. There's a a corruption mechanic that I really like. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's one that I will almost always include in the game, just because it it is a strict upgrade. Oh, I mean, I strictly refuse to play without Skullport, honestly. Okay. (laughs) It turns a fine worker placement game into a worker placement game where you have to make a really difficult decision of, do I go to this spot that gets me really good stuff, but it also earns me a corruption? And then as the game progresses, the corruption costs you more and more points by the end of the game. I love that, Mm -hmm. because you can also use it to screw people over. (laughs) I think my favorite thing about the corruption mechanic is that it's not that it necessarily will cost you more. It is the more that everyone gets corrupted the more points that they are negatively worth. Sure. So sure. if you're the only person getting corrupted, probably be fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nothing's more satisfying than like collecting that one corruption token that pushes all other corruption tokens to being cost like four and watching your opponent who has like five of them in their <laughs> pile. You're like, uh, enjoy that negative 20 points. I really hope you like that. I mean, my favorite thing about that expansion is it comes with the tiny blue plastic skulls. <laughs> yes. Oh, there you go. The crystal skulls. Yeah, I think Lords of Waterdeep is a good example of expansions done right. Yeah. I feel the same way about Space Alert. I think Space Alert's expansion is just purely better, right? Just as a straight-up improvement to the game. Yeah. Don't leave home without and it. Basically, the, the campaign rules are the, the yeah. biggest part of that. I love having the characters that can specialize in that, Mm -hmm. where it's just like, I am better at wiggling the mouse so the screensaver (laughs) doesn't come on. I don't know. My take on expansions has always been, you know, more of the same. So it's very Joe Bob. If you're going to make a sequel, just make the same damn movie again. (laughs) 
So Chronicles of Drunagor definitely did it for me. In that one, all the expansions are monsters. But the way they integrated it into the main campaign is that the main campaign says draw a monster from this deck. And all the expansions come with monster cards for that deck. And so when you're playing the main campaign, all the expansions are included. Especially when it's like a big Kickstarter like that. Yeah. I wonder if those qualify as expansions. Because it really feels like it's just more content. Yeah, and, and oh, that, right. that could definitely Which makes fall them not in. expansions? <laughs> that could yeah. fall into the yeah. the category of should these have been included in the base game to begin with? Yeah. Well, I mean, it would have cost money, and you would have bloated the big game, and some people might not buy it because it's just huge. Whoa. In this case, whoa. It's, whoa. in this case, it's just variability. A Kickstarter that's bloated. <laughs> oh, yeah. Never heard of it. Say it ain't so. Speaking yeah. of which, a similar example of this just done terribly is really almost any Kickstarter produced by Cool Mini or not. Zombicide is the perfect example of adding additional content in the same fashion as Drunagor, but just done terribly. Oh, that first Kickstarter was awful. But Simon goes for the extra characters, extra minis, extra monsters but doesn't include rules or scenarios that include them in the game. Mm-hmm. They're just there, and you're expected to do all the work. Mm-hmm. And a lot of unbalanced, sloppy rules and everything. So yeah, they're definitely you know miniature Kickstarter bloat designed for profit. Yep. And obviously Kickstarter is just a mass of that, and Chronicles of Trinagor is no exception because it's very minis heavy, but at least they you know went the extra step, which... Makes it okay in my book. I mean, I feel like the expansions of Drunagor are different because they actually feel balanced and they feel like they're integrated to the game. Yeah, totally. You grab some of these expansion boxes from a Simon game and you're just like, oh my gosh, how, what were they thinking? Like, this is completely busted. Just pile like, that on top yeah. of the stack. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Someday I'll get to play Drunagor, but Jason didn't invite me the last time. Or me. It very hurt. Oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah. The only one I wanted to call out for amazing is Escape the Dark Castle. It's a modular game. So, I mean, you put together a deck of cards from in both Escape the Dark Castle and Escape the Dark Sector. You put together a deck of cards that you're going to run through and a random boss at the end and a random starter card at the beginning. And the cards are all giant, oversized jumbo cards with all the rules and everything for the encounter on the card. So you're pretty much just, you know, building a story out of that from the deck. And all of its expansions are more cards for the deck, a few extra rules, some extra dice and things. They're pretty simple. So, you know, that's more stuff for a game that's just built out of random elements. Sure, that seems reasonable. The Books of Death, though, are completely non-game, non-important. You don't need them, except that you need them. Uh, okay. For every card in every expansion, the Book of Death has a page with a two, three paragraph description of exactly in detail and painstakingly gory detail how you were ripped apart. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, no, I think that's essential. Key to every card in the game. Where, you see, I'm not finding that listed anywhere. Was that like a Kickstarter exclusive or something? Yeah, I think so. I think you can get them only, they don't put it into retail. And let's see, it may have come, the latest one came in the big box oh okay yeah because it's not it's not listed as like a separate thing you can get yeah and i think it's only from the theme born website oh okay or from the kickstarter let's see and of course i may be calling it the wrong thing you i'm shocked yeah look names are hard okay (laughs) names are hard 
Oh, the death book. Sorry, it's the death book. Oh, that's totally different than the book of death. Yeah, totally. All right. The one thing that I wanted to mention, just because I got it recently, is interesting. Stefan Feld has been doing a Kickstarter, like re-releasing and upgrading a lot of his older games. And I mostly got it because I wanted Amsterdam, which is the remake of Macau, which is one of my favorite Euros. It's interesting because one of the things they do with each of the games in this series is with each one, there's like a dozen mini expansions. And it's literally just like, here's a couple new types of goods you can buy, or here are a few additional tokens you can get for victory points in different ways. They're just basically little micro expansions that you can kind of add or subtract or mix in as you see fit. And I think especially if it's a game that you're going to play a lot, having that little flexibility of adding some extra stuff is a nice touch. Also, the fact that they're all included in the base box is very nice. So I guess they almost don't qualify as expansions as much as optional rules at this point. But I think that's a nice approach if you have something that is maybe a little bit dry, like some Euros can be. These are some new ways to spice it up and keep it interesting. Is that a Queen game? It is. Yeah, Queen's gone into doing these little micro expansions and sometimes including them in the box, sometimes in their Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. And there'll be a tiny, you know, there'll be one or two cards and a handful of chits or something. Yeah. And yeah, they'll do like 10 of those for a game, even a new one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that. I think it's nice to give you a little bit of, of mm-hmm. flexibility in there. All right. Well, I think that is all the expansions we want to talk about. If we think of any more later, we'll release an expansion to this episode. I mean, there are lots more expansions to talk about. Those are just ones that we consider to be especially great or not. Or at least interesting. And off the top of our heads, I'm sure there's like half a dozen. We'll go, oh man, why didn't we talk about? How could we not? Well, if you guys can think of those, do let us know. We always like to hear about, you know, what we've missed and what you consider What's an essential expansion? What's an expansion that actually makes the core game worse retroactively? I'm actually super excited to see if we get any responses on this one, just because like expansions could potentially just be so divisive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, there are a lot of games that get expansions that really don't need them. Yeah, so yeah. far too many actually. Like every Kickstarter, uh, I mean, Munchkin. possibly. Oh God. Oh my oh, gosh. <laughs> Munchkin doesn't need a base game, much less expansions. But uh, anyway. Uh, so, yeah, let us know what you think. As always, if you like what you hear and you want to encourage more people to find us, reviews on iTunes would be great. If you have stuff you want to ask us about or tell us about or complain to us about, you can find us on Facebook because I'm old. We have a Discord server, which is pretty quiet, but we, you know, we are monitoring it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, just let us know what you think, and we look forward to hearing from you. And tell, tell a friend about the podcast. Yes, you know? please. That's, that's the way we grow. Please so tell a friend. That'd be awesome. We're so lonely. <laughs> and then have them tell a friend. And that so is on. Not you. And so on. Yeah, exactly. This is where we say oh, like and subscribe. I don't know how this works. I mean, probably, yes! yeah. Smash that like button. <laughs> Get in the comments. Uh, been watching way too much. Drop it. Oh, I'm, yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening, and we will talk to you next month. Bye. Bye. Bye bye. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of The Ascent of Board Games, which is protected by the Creative Commons license. Opening and closing music is Evening Melodrama by Kevin MacLeod via Incompetech.com. Full details can be found at AscentofBoardGames.com. Please share, like, subscribe, review, and comment on this podcast. And thank you for listening.
La 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 la. Brian's gonna cut this out. <laughs> la 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 la. No, I think I may leave it there and just let people hear you singing. Oh God, no! <laughs> but you made the mistake of singing. That's what you get. So. <laughs>